Welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host. Kevin Paneskis. Okay, welcome to the Service Combination Property Podcast. Now, today we have got Shimon Rudich from MS Law. And so MS Law are a law firm and they will do normal conveyancing. In fact, uh, Shimon will probably um, you know, elaborate on everything that MS Law does. But one of the, the reasons why I uh, was first introduced to Shimon is that Shimon is also an expert in uh, lease, purchase options, and lots of other creative ways of acquiring property. And that was back in 2010, Shimon, 2010, that um, I first heard you speak about lease options, etc. And I've been a massive fan ever since. And actually, MS Law did my first ever option uh, to buy a property. And uh, the option went through in 2011. And I had the right to buy the property for £65,000. wasn't worth £65,000 at the time. But now, 10 years later, I'm exercising my option to buy that property at £65,000. And it's worth about £120,000. And over the years, I've used that property as a single let but more recently as a serviced accommodation property in the last few years, and it is cash flowing me over £2,000 per month, and I still haven't bought it yet. But when I exercise my option to buy that property at 65, I'm then going to refinance it as soon as I can against its actual value and pull out my deposit. So literally, the property has earned me tens of thousands of pounds over the years, and I still don't own it. And when I do own it, I'm going to end up getting it for free. So this is the power of learning this type of property investing and have these different tools at your disposal. So it's my absolute pleasure to introduce uh, Shimon Rudich to the audience here and to those people listening on the podcast. So can I get a massive round of applause for Shimon, everyone? Hello, everybody. So for those one of you that don't know me yet, uh, as mentioned, my name is Shimon Rudik. Uh, uh, first of all, I'm a solicitor, not that this is the most important thing, but that is how I started my career. Uh, first as a solicitor in Hull, actually a trainee solicitor in Hull, where is, I also bought my first property. I actually bought, I was a landlord before becoming a, a solicitor because I bought my first property when I was still a trainee solicitor. I knew nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing about property. And uh, uh, so I'm also, I'm expecting all of you to be, to be or become clients of my law firm now. We have a special offer. If you don't use us, we send the boys around, simple. No, and uh, but on a serious note, we, we deal any, uh, only with property uh, investors and uh, we do only property related matters. Uh, that that is our niche. What we are famous for and what we're good at, and we're based in Manchester, but uh, our clients all around the country. I, I certainly have more clients in London and in Sweden than in Manchester, uh, simply because I lecture several times in Sweden. Uh, I'm also, as mentioned, a property investor myself. 
they say that uh, you'd never forget your first kiss. I think it's the same thing also with the first property. I don't remember the addresses of all my properties, but I still remember the address of my first property, uh, which I bought in Hull uh, 19 years ago. It was 111 Columbus Street. Uh, I started with the simple cheap and cheerful properties, too bad, DSS tenants kind of stuff. And then when it was still DSS. And then I moved the more complicated things, then nicer houses, bigger houses, then HMOs, then uh, properties that were not mortgageable from a simple missing toilet to more severe things like uh, Japanese knotweed or uh, subsidence and knocking down the buildings, I think like that. And in the last uh, few years, I've been concentrating uh, in uh, large commercial buildings uh, to converting blocks of sales accommodations, flats. Uh, the, the common theme is that I cannot do the same thing for long. I get easily bored. So every few years I have to do something different. Otherwise, I just <laughs> give up. And uh, uh, I'm also a property educator. I have been teaching property investors how to make money from properties for uh, around 13, 14 years. 14 years, I think. I think the first time I taught for Progressive, and it was still in the old building in the city center, uh, was around 14 years ago. Uh, I, I have over 30,000 students, uh, and I don't teach courses anymore. I got too busy and, uh, with my projects, uh, and I wanted to spend more time with my family. Uh, but I wrote manuals, and uh, sometimes I take mentees and things like that. I'm an international speaker, and I have a YouTube channel that is meant to come up at the end of the month, hopefully. So by means, follow me. I'm a great believer of multiple sources of income, simply because uh, having one source of income is kind of stupid. It's like having uh, all your eggs in one basket, not clever. So you try to have as many different uh, sources of income. That doesn't mean many properties, means different businesses. So. One is property, one is the law firm, one have, so I have various businesses. Uh, I also have married eight children. You understand now why I need the multiple source of income. And you know, their wife is almost as expensive as their kids. And no, actually my wife is, uh, the, the, I'm, I'm very lucky. My wife does like spending. Uh, I'm also a charity fundraiser for the simple reason that I benefited from charities. Uh, you see me now as, uh, uh, partner in a law firm, property investor, developer, international speaker. But when I came in this country 27 years ago, in case you haven't noticed from the accent, I'm Italian. Uh, I didn't have a penny. I couldn't even afford to go to uni by bus. So I used to bike every day to university in Manchester, from Salford to Manchester. And if you're in Manchester, biking is no fun because when it's not raining, it's snowing. So, uh, I used to live in a place that perhaps you call it an HMO, uh, because besides me at the beginning, there was around a dozen pigeons. And they, they, they didn't even have a bath. Actually, there was a bath, but green wasn't the original color. So I had to get friendly with the guy that was running the local public bathhouse, so I could go there at night when it was closed, because otherwise I, I couldn't have a shower after backing back home. So situation has changed, but I haven't forgotten where I come from. So besides the fact that 20% of my gross income goes to charity, uh, I also fundraise for a specific charity that helped me when I was younger. So that's me, and that's all about me.
we are not going to speak about this option and other advanced creative strategies. So the plan is first I tell you what is a normal is option, what I call a vanilla is option, and some people call purchase this option, which means nothing, it's still a lease option, as if there is a different sell option and purchase option. And, uh, and then I show you how are the more advanced and more interesting and more lucrative from a normal, simple uh, vanilla option, uh, which uh, everybody can teach you what is a normal lease option, but is the more advanced strategies that will give you an edge against your competition, and so you can be more successful in your journey as a property investor. So without further ado, what is a lease option? A lease option is the right, but not the obligation to buy a property. So for argument's sake, you will have the right to buy number 13 marketplace for a fixed amount of money, let's say 100,000 uh, pounds, within a fixed amount of time, within the next six months, 60, six years, 16 years, uh, you will also uh, have the right to occupy the property either for you, so you can live in a property that you wanted to buy, but you couldn't buy it, you couldn't afford it, or to put tenants and make money from the tenants from a property that is not yours, like Kevin mentioned quite cleverly before. Uh, we rights comes obligations. So, for example, you will promise the vendor that you pay his mortgage payments or a fixed amount of money every month. Uh, you will promise to look after the property, maintenance, no roof leaks, it's on me, bollies breaks down, it's on me, windows breaks, it's on me. So, why is doing this option so good? So let, let, usually when I do this one uh, live, I'll ask a question and I let the public answer. But here now, I guess I, I will ask questions and answer myself. <laughs> so why is this option so good? So there are many reasons why this option can be useful. So for example, you can buy a property without having to get have a deposit to buy a, for a mortgage. Uh, Later on, you can actually buy without having a mortgage altogether. I mean, no buy, control it, making money, because you don't need a mortgage, right? So you don't have to fight with banks to get a mortgage. You don't have to fight to get the right credit score. Maybe you don't have a good credit scoring, or maybe you don't have enough uh, accounts to get mortgages. Uh, you don't have to fight with the surveyors from banks with evaluation. Sometimes surveyors gives you low evaluation that you expected because there is no mortgage. You, you don't need, one of the reasons that I like most uh, this option is something that uh, Kevin mentioned before quite cleverly. I don't have to now beat the vendor on the purchase price. I know that a lot of people teach students, uh, whatever is the property on the market for, try to push the vendor down. I don't like that. Why should I? push as much as possible and squeeze the vendor. I often always, I, I, if it if stacks up for me, if I can make money out of it, why should I also the vendor benefit from the situation? Vendor wants 50,000 pounds, I give him 50. If for me it's worth much more, I can even give him more than what is worth the property. Now you tell me, Shimon, why will you pay more than what is worth it? But I will show you soon why is it worth it to do that. Like this, I have a vendor that likes me. 
And it's a win-win scenario. Now, if there are all these good things doing a lease option, why is not so easy to do it? Why a lot of property investors, even after going to courses, they still not succeed? You know why? What is the most common problem for vendors to structure these options with vendors? Time. Why? Because most people that teach these options uh, will tell the students, try to get this option as long as possible, because the longer is the option, the bigger is the capital appreciation. Like that in Kevin, very, very likely for him, he had a long his option, massive capital appreciation. Does it make sense? But often vendors, when you tell them, I'll pay you in 10 years, they're not going to like that, are they? They say, what? Out. <laughs> they want to see the money now. So, and that is where often the students fail. And why? And, and one of the, the, the main reasons why this, the, the some or most people that teach these options don't do it correctly is because a lot of people that teach don't actually do what they teach. In the real world, besides being an educator, I'm actually a property investor, was a property investor before. So let me show you how to actually make it more successful. So the first strategy for tonight is the ugly duckling. So what's the situation here? So here you have a house. Can you see the picture on the left? What's missing? Kitchen. House without a kitchen means what? No mortgageable. So this was a two-bed house. Uh, I think three kids used to own it. because Grandpa died, something like that. And the property was on the market for uh, almost a year and was going nowhere. Simply was going nowhere. They couldn't. They didn't get any offer. It was acceptable. I think that the high offer at the time was thirty-five thousand pounds, which wasn't an unfair offer for a cash buyer, but they had an outstanding mortgage of forty thousand pounds. So unless they were throwing five thousand pounds in to sell the property, they couldn't sell it. Do you think that uh, if I offered them £45,000, 25% more than any other offer after 11 months, they're interested to talk to me? Absolutely. Do you still, they're still interested talking to me if I tell them, okay, but I'll pay you in 10 years' time? Often not. Simple as that, no. Because we live in a generation when people want instant gratification. They want the money for the beers, the iPhones, the flat screens. They're not interested. They'd rather have a little bit now than a lot later. There's a difference between normal people and investors. We invest, we want capital appreciation, making more money later. They want money now. They don't care about the future. But do I need 10 years to put a new kitchen, repaint, and recarpet a two-bedroom house? I don't. Five weeks? Four, five weeks? To keep on the safe side, let's say I asked the vendor six months. So I got the option at 45. I spent 3,000 pounds here, and then I sold it at 75. Right? Whoa, sorry. Uh -oh. Something linky. So what is my profit? 75, less 45, less three, 27,000 pounds. Good result? Yeah? 
Now, you're going to tell me, but Shimon, I don't know to do this option. I can do it in a normal way. I buy it, I do it up and resell it. What's the difference? Why do I have to complicate it? Well, there is a huge difference. Let's say, what's the difference? Let, let me show you the difference. Let's say that you have 50,000 pounds in your pocket. So if you have 50,000 pounds in your pocket, you can do this project because it costs you, for, in the normal way, it costs you 48,000 pounds, you need 48,000 pounds. So, but what if you're doing your marketing well and two weeks later, you have another project like this? You look for your other pocket for another 50,000 pounds. Let's say that you had another 50,000 pounds altogether, and then your market is still good, and you get another deal another two weeks later. Are you looking for a third set of 50,000 pounds? You understand what I'm talking about? Well, if you do it my way, how much money do you need? Only 3,000 pounds, only the refurbishment costs. So if you have 50,000 pounds in your pocket, you can do one of these projects per time in the normal way, or 16 my way, which one is better? Also, let's not forget, if I do it in the normal way, I do it up and then can I reset it after six weeks? Nope, six months rule. So I can do one project every six months. So two projects a year this way, in the normal way. My way, I could do 16 in theory every month. So better two a year or 16 every month. Yeah, money talks. Now, do you think there are properties that are unmortgageable or where sellers cannot sell because problems in, in the finance, in the areas where you invest? Absolutely. So how many of you have converted unmortgageable properties into five or six digit figures without even having bought them? I know many. You know why? I should know why. Chuf, 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 because you're transporting, guys. Often people can say, Shimon, it was much easier to buy when you're lucky. You started 20 years ago, it was much easier. No, you're the lucky ones. When I started, they were in property courses, property manuals, property mentors, property masterminds, and all these things. It was very much trial and terror in my time. We have to learn it the hard way. If you don't succeed, it's your fault. You, the other thing is, I, I never had problems in funding properties. There are loads of properties. My law firm has never been as busy as now. We, we are doubling the amount of solicitors. I had two solicitors joining us because I'm, I'm turning down clients. We are so busy. If we are so busy, what does it mean? Lots of people are buying properties. If lots of people are buying properties and you're not buying properties, means that you're not doing the right thing. Next strategy. Slice and dice. So what do we have here? So this is, as you can see from the photo, is a four bed semi-Victorian house. So you know these kind of properties, they're all the same inside. Door in the middle, staircase in the middle, corridor in the middle, and so on and so forth. Here, the vendor was what I call an unprofessional landlord. He was someone that uh, used to make a lot of money every month. I think he was in IT, yeah. Or he was either a doctor or in IT. And uh, he was wise enough to, from time to time, because he was making a lot of money every month, buy a property 
but no one really taught him about properties. He was lucky that he has the same family here for five, six years with four kids, but no one taught him to put money aside for a rainy day. So when that family went left after six years, the property needed everything, you know, <laughs> four kids. And I have eight, I can tell you. <laughs> so he went to a builder. The builder realized that this guy was as green as green and gave him an astronomical quote, much more than was really the quote. The guy didn't have the money to do it up, so I thought, fine, I'll put it on the market. If I find the need that willing to buy it, fine. If not, after three months, because I make a lot of money every month, I will have the money to do it up. Why did he think that he needed an idiot to buy his property? Because once done up, this property is worth 200,000 pounds. So before doing it up, he puts it on the market for how much? Still 200,000 pounds. Is that realistic? Did he find the buyer to buy it? Of course, otherwise we wouldn't tell you about this, right? So uh, my business partner bought this project. He didn't buy it, he get an option. And uh, for 200,000 pounds, because he wanted 200,000 pounds. Is he worth the property 200,000 pounds? No, not now, but it's not what is worth now, is what I can do in the future with it. What can I do with the property now and in the future? What can I do here? Well, I gave you two hints, guys. The first thing was the title of the strategy. Slice and dice. What do you think we are talking about here? Domino pizza? Slice and dice. We split the property in four flats. The main hint was the description of the property. This kind of Victorian property is always the same. Having the corridor and the staircase in the middle of the house is not that difficult to create flat on the right, flat on the left, and the same upstairs. Because the beauty of this kind of big Victorian houses is not just that they have much more space than a four-bedroom council house, but also that they have corridors, landings that can divide the property easily. Can you imagine a four-bedroom ex-council house? First of all, the door is not necessary in the middle. In any event, there is no corridor splitting the property. So from one room, you go to another. And last but not least, usually the, the, the staircase is not just in the middle. It's never in the middle, just going up straight. Turns somewhere, you have to move the staircase. Then you find yourself in the toilet because the staircase was not meant to be there. And any extra work you have to do is extra cost and less profit. Uh, so several years ago, when this one was done, uh, uh, well, first of all, labor was cheaper, material was cheaper, but more importantly, uh, uh, regulations were much uh, simpler and uh, less demanding, especially insulation, acoustic. Uh, the, the, the amount of things that I ask councils nowadays when I do a conversion uh, is, is amazing. I used to get the uh, first uh, sound reports. Then they started with the light. The, have you ever had the light report? I've been asked by a council to do a light report to, to calculate how much light was coming from the windows if it was enough light in the bedroom. And now one council asked me for uh, a rain report, a drainage report. How much rain comes on the extension and little flat roof? I don't know, one, one square meter of flat roof extension. And, and they asked me to do a report on how much rain goes down the drainage. There are some crazy things now. But at the time, didn't. So 
conversion cost us around 35,000 pounds. And we got evaluation of the flats for around 100,000 pounds each. To sell them quickly, uh, we sold them for 85, 85, 85, and 75. Uh, when, when you hear people tell you, oh, we got valuation 100, we sold all the flats for 100,000 pounds. Unless those flats were like on marble arch, uh, you know, some, some extremely demanding areas. When you have a number of flats in the same spot, in order to sell them quickly, you have to sell them discount. If they don't tell you that they sold the discount, that they did, they're not telling you the truth. Uh, but for us, it was still good selling discount because 85, 85, 85, 75, how much is that? 330,000 pounds. Less development cost, which uh, 45,000 pounds, sorry, I think it's a rough year for 45,000 pounds development cost uh, is how much, guys? 85,000 pounds profit, I mean, also less 200,000 pounds of which, right? 85,000 pounds for that. Do you think that 85,000 pounds profit from a property that was never used is a good result? Yeah? You say so? How can I make even more than 85,000 pounds? What else can I do here? I sold the four flats. What else do I have here? The freehold, because we created four leases. Yeah. What can I get out of the freehold? Well, that depends how much the field is making. Since we drafted the leaseholds, we thought it was fair that each leaseholder should pay the free old 250 pounds a year. Means that the free old makes 1,000 pounds a year. And if you put in an auction like Bernard Marcos or something like that, you should get around 15,000 pounds profit. So altogether now we are up to 100,000 pounds profit. Now pay attention. Let me give you a very important tip. Six digit figure profit, always better than five. Always, every day guys, oh, every day. Now, do you think that there are nice, big Victorian houses also in the areas where you invest? Yeah? So how many of you have converted large Victorian houses or large houses altogether, okay, so Victorians, in five, six-digit figure profit without buying them? How many of you? Mm. You know why? Chuf, chuf! Because you're transporting, guys. The problem is never lack of supply. There are plenty of properties there. Is knowing how to do it. Next strategy. So the next strategy is in the IMOC. So this is what I call an impossible deal. So as you can see from the photo, can you see the change of brick for container? This is an ex-cancel house, is an end terrace. Sorry, among my skills. Photography is not one of them. I'm missing the photo, the game of war. Sorry. And so it's a three bed uh, and terrace ex cancer. So the vendor, the property was worth max 60,000 pounds. This is a property in East Manchester. I still have it as it happens. And the vendor wanted, uh, the property was worth max 60,000 pounds. Vendor wanted 51,000 pounds. When I asked him why specifically 51, you know, it can be 50 or 55. And he went, oh, I have a mortgage of 25 and a secure loan of 26. Uh, hence the 51. Okay, fair enough. When I asked him, why is he selling altogether? He told me, oh, I'm facing repossession. Now, Rather when you, the 51,000 pounds would never ever be enough because people that uh, are in financial difficulties often 
have uh, the what I call the ostrich strategy. They stick their head in the ground, and no problems disappear. So yes, he had a mortgage of 25 and a secure loan of 26, but he hasn't been paying them for almost 10 years. So it was 7,000 pounds worth of years, uh, plus interest and debts and um, penalties and money to the currency owed, money to various other debts and things like that. So the guy was in, in quite in serious financial difficulties and in negative equity. But remember, for me, it's not important what is worth the property now, it's what I can do to it to add value and it's worth more. So what can I do to this property? The bedroom house, can I make it into an HMO? Not really, because these kind of, of ex-council houses, uh, first of all, it has only one lounge downstairs. And upstairs, the three bedrooms, the smaller bedroom is a shoebox, right? Is where you put the coat. You could, you cannot put someone to sleep there. I mean, if he's on uh, on Baker Street, uh, yes, you rent it. <laughs> no, no, no questions about it. I've seen <laughs> places bigger than Harry Potter under the staircase, uh, under staircase, uh, rental in central London. But no, not in Manchester. So I cannot run it as an HMO. Fine, maybe I can split in two flats. And uh, no, not really. First of all, it was extremely lucky the council would give me permission because uh, almost all the other ex-council housing, these, these are three, two, two rows of, of, of ex-council houses. I'm trying to work from memory from last time I went there. And uh, I was the same tenant for six years and I've been there for six years in the last. So the, the uh, as an unknown secret. So the, the ex-council house still belongs, most of it still belongs to the council, but more importantly, economically didn't stack up. The cost in converting it didn't add much value there because flats in that area were cheap, really cheap. Okay, so I cannot make an HMO, I cannot make it in flats, uh, maybe the land on the side because it's, and terrace. No, there is no land on the side, this is, is this is this back garden. <laughs> Can you see? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and I decided there is actually, there was a little park, it was very leafy. As it happens, the little park is no longer there. I mean, there are still some trees, but most of the little park has been converted in a school. And uh, which, uh, if I was living there, I wouldn't be happy. But as a landlord, for me, it's much better. Because a lot of people like to live close to the school, because like this, they can see the kids going to school without much effort, I think like that. So much more demand for tenants, I think. Like that. And uh, now I, I couldn't see uh, how to add value quickly. So my, I don't want Chubby here to get repossessed. So let's, uh, let's do an exercise now. I give you two options, and I want to see raising hands. And then Kevin can tell me if anyone raised their hand. We work this way. And the option of letting the vendor here getting repossessed is not an option. You have to save it for repossession. And I give you two options to choose. Option number one, we do a traditional, what you call it, lease uh, option. Let's say three, five, seven years, 10 years, whatever, uh, with the vendor. That is option A. Option B is anything else, but you have 
if you don't want to do option A. But you have to tell me what else you can do. What other thing, what you can do to save the guy from repossession and, and you still make money. Eh? We're not working as a charity here. We, we like to help him and it gives you a lot of pleasure, but is I'm helping and making money too. Kind of wanting the cake and eat it. So can I give you one minute to think about it? And then I'm assuming everybody's choosing option A, unless you raise your hand. And if you raise your hand, you tell Kevin what you want to do. I'll give you, should we say one minute? I'm very generous with time, what can I say? Go on, think about it, guys. We got a couple of hand raises already. Whoa, not bad. Okay, so I'll go to the first guy. Hiya, I'm Scott. Um, I'd probably put a tenant in there, so it's a tenant buyer as a sandwich option. The tenant buyer. Why do you think it will work better for a tenant than with the landlord? Um, well, it's just less hassle for me as a landlord because I wouldn't have to it worry. It might be less that. hassle, but the property is in negative equity and in negative cash flow. So. Yeah, but I'd be selling the, the property to the tenant buyer at a higher price so it wouldn't be a negative equity. So we'd pay him rent and cover his mortgage and his debts. He pays the, so you're going to put a tenant buyer to pay the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're expecting to pay more than what is worth it in some years' time. Yeah. How much more than, uh, how much, uh, how you say, uh, uh, extra on top of the mortgage payments you, you want? Just to cover yourself. Um. I don't know. Not a lot. Hundred pounds. Not a lot. Hundred pounds. Okay. Enough. Fine. That is not the correct answer. I will okay. tell you why not soon. <laughs> I, I, I. It's fine. It's not a problem. Then no, I appreciate it, Eurasia. Thank you very much. Not that I can see you. I keep seeing uh, table one, but a voice comes from somewhere else. And uh, I want table one to 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 raise the hand at least. <laughs> And okay, fine. Hello. Okay. <laughs> Who else has raised the hands? Uh, hi. Um, I would personally speak to the guy, agree uh, an option to buy at some point in the future. So I can't hear you. You're going to sp uh, speak to who? Speak to the, the, the gentleman that owns the house. Yeah. That, that's in there, that's in trouble. Uh, agree to uh, purchase, take, take on all of his debt. Currently, how do you you're going to pay out of your pockets his debts? No, I didn't say pay out. Um, ah, okay, so how do you deal with? Uh, so you remember you, the you, seven thousand pounds worth arrears? Yeah, you agree to take facing repossessions, various other little debts here and there. Interest actually more than seven seven thousand pounds arrears. Then there is also interest and whatever. But gone. So you agree to service the debt that he has got with the people he has the debt with. You... I, I can't hear you very well. I do apologize. <laughs> okay. I might be becoming old and sen senile. So you agree to service the debts that the, the gentleman has. What do you mean by service the debt? Maybe you're, you're right, but I'm not sure if I... Um, so you speak to the mortgage company, the secured loan company. Uh, yeah, anybody, and... anybody he owns the money to, you either agree a reduced amount or you pay... On what basis? 
uh, on the basis that you're actually going to pay it, so they're going to get their money? You're going to pay, not him. Well, you pay because he's going to give you an option on his property. You have nothing to do with it. They have no contract with you. The contract, the mortgage is a contract between them and the vendor and the house owner. So yeah. you saying I'm going to pay them is not relevant because if you don't, what happens? They cannot sue you. There is no contract between you and them. No, I'm not saying okay. you're wrong. I'm just trying to... to well, basically, I should have started by first saying that I think what you should do is uh, agree an option uh, at a, a figure that takes in all of the gentleman's debt to actually acquire the property at some time in the future, whilst, yeah, uh, whilst, whilst currently getting him, allowing him to stay in the property. You're um, allowing him to stay in the property? Yeah. And who's paying the monthly mortgage payments? I guess, well, I was hoping he'd have some kind of an income so he could actually pay you no, he doesn't. for servicing he the does, debt. No, he doesn't. Well, otherwise, why wouldn't he have paid? This guy is not someone that didn't want to pay his mortgage. He doesn't have money. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you answer that. Listen, if he didn't pay the mortgage to the bank, do you think he's going to pay the rent to you? No, probably not, no. <laughs> Okay, who Let wants Shimon to tell us the answer? So make profit. <laughs> Show me hand if you want Shimon to tell us the answer. Okay, over to you, Shimon. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? Yeah, we want you to tell us the answer. You're, you're keeping us in suspenders. Okay, fine. So, for all those one of you that didn't raise a hand and wanted to do a normal lease option, what is your first mistake? You didn't ask how much are the monthly mortgage payments. And that was also the mistake of the first gentleman. Uh, apologies. No, easily. You're doing a lease option. You want to put a tenant buyer. Well, do you know how much are the monthly mortgage payments? Because indeed, the monthly mortgage payments were 306 for the mortgage and 660 for the secure loan. But if you rent it in a normal way here, Max uh, and actually, private would have been even a slightly less. At the time, was you would get more from a DSS tenant. Uh, the council used that was uh, Manchester Council would pay at the time six hundred and twenty. As it happens, one year later went down to five hundred and eighty-five, where it was on that figure for a long time, and then it went up again. But six hundred and twenty rent means that you will be losing three hundred and forty-six pounds per month. So you put a tenant buyer and you're losing money, it's not a great idea. And a tenant buyer, unless you want to ask a tenant buyer to double the rental there in order for you to make a profit. You think that you find a tenant buyer to pay twice the rent to be there? No. Besides, you want, even if he agrees to pay twice the normal rent, half of it is meant to go towards the purchase price. So you cannot use it to pay the mortgages. So you're still losing 346 pounds every month. And then the reason why a normal is option without doing something else first didn't work here. Now, who wants this deal that is losing 346 pounds per month now? No one? You will regret it. Why? Do you know the expression, he says he can, he says he can't, are usually both right? Success is first here. If you don't think you can structure a deal here, you're right. If you don't think that there is anything that you can do here for you to make money, you're right. 
There is nothing for you to do here. Doesn't mean that someone else wants. Indeed, after I agreed terms with the vendor and his option, and he gave me all the papers of his mortgage because you cannot trust vendors on everything they tell you. Oh, my mortgage is standing in this amount of money. Let me check. I, I was going through his papers, and I found through his papers uh, a letter at, on another company. I recognized the letterhead. And it says, another guy. He's actually a friend of mine, a personal friend of mine. He's, uh, he was a client of my firm, then became a personal friend. We didn't do a venture on, on, on my first uh, uh, property with structural problems. And uh, so I recognized the guy and says, why do you have a letter from so-and-so? I said, oh, Shimon, when the first time you told me to do something like this option, anything like that, it wasn't the first time someone told me that. This guy came to me four months ago, he also told me they was going to drive something and speak to banks and try to, with someone else, service and convince the banks to, to, but he never went anywhere. And then he gave up. I said, fine, that's fine. So the first thing I did when I left the house, because some people never grew up, that's me. And I think that one of the biggest pleasure in life is uh, teasing your friends, if not outright make fun of them. And I, I don't know, as I said, I don't, I haven't grown up. My wife will confirm. I called my mate and I says, buddy, does this address rings any bell to you? And he went, yeah. So what does it remind you? I don't remember, why, what is it? So, so it's a problem you tried to do this option four months ago. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The banks were not playing board, too bad. Pity, nice guy. I said, well, I succeeded. You, well, you didn't. And it's not, a, I'm not showing off. He's a mate. It's not like, uh, look at this, I have a, a new gold Rolex or a Ferrari. And I don't have, a, I, I don't have a gold Rolex or, or expensive things. And it was just fun with a friend. Because what did I do here? After I got an option from the vendor, I went to negotiate with the bank for converting the monthly payments from capital repayments in interest only. So instead of 306, we became 61. Instead of 660, we became 132. So instead of having to pay 966 every month, you only pay now 193. A complete turnaround, the exercise. Instead of losing 346, we are now making 427 pounds. So a change of 773 pounds per month without having to convert in an HMO, let alone in flats, just by using my brain and my negotiations and knowledge of the law with banks. Now, since I'm such a nice guy, as soon as I give you a solution, I take it away. Because after we did that, the um, FSA passed, uh, uh, or, or even just before that, in that period, the, the FSA passed a, a white paper, and for you that uh, uh, like to read, it's called the, uh, the white paper was called forbearance, and I actually had to check on the diction what forbearance means because remember I'm Italian, and uh, and partly in a nutshell, uh, the important things of that paper was that uh, banks didn't have any more to accept to go on interest only. And because they don't have to, chances that they say yes is, is very, very low. It's very low for someone like me that knows the law 
and the law. For example, do you know that there are three different kinds of acts the parliaments can regulate mortgages? Not all three on the same, all mortgages. Is either one or the other or two of them, but not all three together. Uh, so if I cannot do it, trust me, guys, for you. Uh, so if it's not possible to convince the bank so easily to go on interest only, the, the white paper is not only bad as it happens. If you read it properly, you know the other acts. Now, to actually stop a repossession is much easier. I could spin a delay a repossession for at least 10 years, which is very useful when you're negotiating with the solicitor for the banks. Indeed, I used, when I used to do residential properties, and I often went, several times I went to court to stop repossession, always succeeded. I was on the blacklist of some lenders. I, I remember G Money really hated me. The solicitor of G Money, they refused to speak to me. <laughs> and uh, the last time we were in court and they lost. So in any event, so if you cannot do this, so what will you do? Because as it happens, soon after we had another one like very similar to that one. And the second lender wouldn't play ball at all. He didn't just refuse to go on interest only. He even refused to talk to us. He wouldn't reply to letters, nothing. I really reported to the ombudsman. Ombudsman did nothing. So what did they do? Did they give up? Did they get, let the vendor get repossessed? Poor Bobby. No. Do, do, you, do you know that when you have two formal negotiations, there's amicable negotiation and hostile negotiation. When you deal with banks, it's hostile because it's the enemy on the other side. So essentially, you have to take it in a more confrontational way. So eventually, we put a defense and counterclaim. Now, dealing with banks is like going to, it's, it's still negotiation. It's like going, I uh, don't know how many of you have ever been to a bazaar in Marrakesh or um, in Turkey or in Istanbul, in Cairo or Jerusalem. If you go there, you ask how much you want for the t-shirt, they tell you $10, you offer two, and eventually you settle at five, right? When you deal with banks, it's the same thing, just maybe four, five, six, seven, zero more. They want the 33,000 pounds. So in my defense, a counterclaim on behalf of the vendor, how much do you think I offered? Zero. Do you think a zero is a good starting point? Why do you think I started with zero? because I showed them that they made a mistake. It's true, they made a mistake. Did I believe that the mistake, and I said, you made this mistake, you shouldn't get a penny. Do you think, did I believe that I had any chance to win in court on that argument? No, the mistake was true. And they would have been uh, fined by the financial authority, but was not good enough or completely by half a mortgage. But what did they achieve? For six months, they didn't reply to a single letter or call. The day after I put the defense account claim, the solicitor, a, a partner in that big firm called me. Oh, we didn't realize you wanted to fight. You're going to fight it. Well, I've been writing you for six months. You don't reply. What else do you want me to do? I said, fine, will you? We had the first hearing in, in, in less than a week. First hearing is not proper hearing, it's just allocation. So he says, will you give me an extension for a week for the hearing? And I says, what for? And he said, I think I can convince my client to settle out of court, which is what I believe you want. 
Was that, did I want to settle out of court? Of course, I, I knew that I had zero chance to win in court. So do you think I said yes? No, I said no. Why do you think I said no? Remember before I told you about the different kinds of negotiations? With the bank is the enemy. When you're doing, what is the most famous book about war? Art of War? What is the most important concept that it teaches you there, Sun Tzu? Deception. If you are close, make them think you are far. If you are big, let them think you are small. If I want to settle out of court, I have to make them think I don't want to settle out of court. Just says, no, I'm happy to go to court. Oh, but we thought you wanted to go to settle out of court. Yes, I wanted to go settle out of court, but you know, Contract claim was drafted by a barrister. We have a chat with the barrister. We are quite confident to win in court. So we are we are happy to get our day in court. Did I give them the extension eventually? Yes. As it happened, I, had, I insisted on one month's extension. There's a, a legal specific reason why I did that, but beyond this point. But why did I do that first? Why did I say no at the beginning? To make them panic. They have no idea where I'm coming from now. They don't know what I want. Now they're panicking. And I want my enemy dealing with me always panicking. Indeed, instead of 33,000 pounds, how much they took? 13. Do you think the 60% discount is nice? I think it's quite nice, especially since I don't like banks. 60% discount, everybody happy with 60% discount? But you know what is the nicest thing? I mean, I bought it cash, I remortgaged it a few weeks later. I started Lloyd's, Lloyd's <laughs> because that's so slow. I started with Lloyd's proceedings like two months before. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I bought it, remortgaged within a few weeks, and I even took 5,000 pounds out of it. Usually, I don't need to take money out of it, deal. but that was my way to sell to the bank. <clears throat> and it's a legal term, I think. And uh, But you know what? is the best thing to all of it, the vendor. You know that this vendor, now let me ask you a question. When you buy properties the normal way, do vendors thank you? Most likely they resent you, especially if you put them down on the purchase price, because you know, you want a discount on the property, no? below market value. This is what they teach your courses, right? So the vendor will feel you took advantage of them. You took advantage of their situation. You took advantage of their family situation. You took advantage of them losing a job or, or relocation or family bereavement or divorce or whatever. So they resent you. Do you? They don't thank you, let alone they keep in touch. This vendor, this must have happened something like seven, six years ago, six, seven years ago, maybe more still thanks me to date on Facebook. Not a young chappy, it's an old guy. I'm surprised that he knows how to use Facebook so well, in fairness, my father doesn't. To date, he still thanks me. You know, there, there used to be a commercial for MasterCard, they used to say something, for everything else there is MasterCard, meaning there are things that are priceless. This is priceless. He doesn't believe that I made money. I told him from day one, I'm, I'm very blunt and very honest and very transparent. I, I told buddy, I'm going to stop the repossession. I'm going to save you from bankruptcy, but I'm going to make money out of it. Do you have an issue if I make money out of it? The guy says, you're making money from this property? Impossible. But if you make money, I don't care. 
you don't want, I don't get the repossess is the, and the is for me is the important thing. And today it, it still doesn't understand how I made money. Uh, I told you I made money, but I still, from time to time on my Facebook page, he writes something to thank me. And it's, oh, Shimon is a great guy. He saved me from bankruptcy several years ago. That is priceless. But, you know, it's a kind of wanting the cake and eat it, which usually is not the option. For me, it is. Excuse the pun. I made money. I still have the property. I still make a cash flow. Now it's worth much more. And I saved one guy from bankruptcy. And he still thanked me. Do you think there are properties in the areas where you invest where the vendors are in financial difficulties? Maybe. So how many of you have converted the vendors in financial difficulties in five, six digit figure profit and saved them? How many? Uh, you know why? Chuf, 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 because you're transporting guys. The dealers are out there. <laughs> there are loads of deals. The problem is not the lack of deals. For me, funding deals and such deals was never a problem because I'm very creative. At the beginning, it was more a case of funding the funds because I, I come from a zero money background. And indeed, when I, even when I start to do bigger projects or I have several large commercial developments worth a few millions, I didn't put any of my money. I, I joined venture different strategy. Guys, the, the most important thing is knowing what you do. Next strategy. Storage millionaires. So here you have a piece of brownfield, nice location, and you know, nice piece. Of, here is not residential, just to show that it's not a, a matter of residential properties to make money. Uh, in fairness, it's not even a matter of residential or commercial or property altogether. It's a question: Do you know what you're doing, or you don't know what you're doing? So nice spot to develop, but not now. Meaning, uh, especially this was especially. Uh, more before, but still in some areas in the north of England, uh, you can buy properties for less than actually cost to build them. Right? So even if you can have a piece of land for free, since the end value is less than what is development cost, it's not worth developing. So what is the name of the game? Co grab the land and hold it until the value of the properties goes up. Nothing new is called lands banking, being around since Cromwell or something. So, but then what do I do here? So they wanted 200,000 pounds for the piece of land that was no worth 200,000 pounds in any form or shape. So what do you think I offered them? Well, first of all, I did what I call a 10-10. A 10-10 is 10 years, 10%, meaning, I offered them 10% more than the asking price. Remember that I told you, you make more money by being generous than being stingy? Well, so the property was worth less than 200,000 pounds. They didn't have, didn't have any offer on the table yet. Not even for 200,000 pounds, not even for less. And I offered them already from day one, 220. So you tell me, Shimon, you're crazy. But do I get their attention now? 220, yeah, 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 we're interested. Then I offered, I asked them 10 years option. Actually, to be honest, it's a five and five, uh, but that is for negotiation purposes. Well, it means if you ask me that question during the question and answer why it's five and five is better than 10, I will tell you. And, and then I offered them to pay them for, during the periods of the option, next, uh, 650 pounds every month on a piece of land that is not 
not just generating money. It's actually costing me money because whenever there is tipping, because in this country people tip, don't tell me wrong. <laughs> Where I come from, they tip much more. In Italy, you know, they tip all the time. And, uh, and I remember when I was a teenager, there was a comedian and made uh, a joke saying, I'm going to show you a clean Italy. Not to say, I'm going to show you a clean country. We organize buses to Switzerland. And, but when you, the, the, I have sites where I ha I'm developing or waiting to develop and people tip, and I have to pay for cleaning it, I get fines from councils. So the same thing was here. So what do I do now with this? If vendor agreed, agreed 220 and to be paid 650. But what do I do with this piece of land for the next 10 years before I develop it? Because I'm not in the business of losing money every month. So what do I do? Well, this tip, guys, was the title of the strategy, storage millionaire. Storage containers, you know, those ugly metal boxes at the back of lorries. So we calculated we could stick around 50 containers there. You can hang them out on a one-to-one -one basis for around 100 pounds a month, at least. And, but they will cost you no more than 40 pounds a month to hide them in bulk. Uh, so 5,000 pounds, less 650 of the lease, uh, and uh, less the 2,000 pounds of uh, uh, hiring the containers means that you make a, a net profit every month of 2,350 pounds, which is 28,200 pounds a year, which after 10 years, you made 282,000 pounds not having done anything with the land yet. Yeah? Now, we calculated we could put around 20 flats there. So whenever we get, within the next 10 years, value of flats up to 150 there, we can develop it because then the, value, the GDP of the project is 3 million pounds. Now, let's say that you don't want to play Bob the Builder. How, can, how much can you sell the land for? Now, there is an easy rule of thumb among developers, is a rule of thumb. So it varies depending from areas and areas of the country. Okay. And like in the south of it, in the south of England, you will find uh, acquisition costs higher. And in the north of England, you find development costs higher than the acquisition costs. But the rule of thumb is says a third, a third, and a third. So one third is the cost of the land, the acquisition cost. One third should be the development cost, and one third should be the profit for the developer if he does the job properly and is existing. So how much is more or less worth the land then? Around one million pounds. But how much does it cost me to buy it? Only 220. Remember like Kevin told you about his property that is an option, the first one uh, that he did as an option? After 10 years, worth much more. So, but to me, so the land is worth 1 million, but to me it's costing only 220. Can you understand why I can afford to be generous at the beginning and offer them more than what is worth it? Because I'm not paying now. I'm paying when the land is worth much more. So the profit is 780 plus the 282. Congratulations, we are all millionaires. I know, sorry, I forgot. Chuf, chuf, you've been transporting <laughs> because uh, I bet no one of you has never passed in front of a piece of land undeveloped. But how many of you saw oh, a piece of land undeveloped? I like, it's, it's not a bad location. 
Have you tried to find out who's the owner of the land? Have you tried to find out whether it's a piece of land that you can develop or not? Maybe it's a green belt, not too bad. Maybe there is uh, some restrictions. No, why should you develop? You're not in the business of making money. You only like to look at properties, right? Next strategy. Last strategy for today, exchange of delay completion. So what's an exchange of delay completion? Exchange of completion is when you buy in the normal way, uh, you exchange today and compete today, or exchange today and competition next week, or exchange today and competition in a month time, right? This is usually what happens. What if you exchange today and you complete uh, six years time, and during these six years, you even have the right to occupy the property. You haven't bought it yet, you only exchange. The, the vendor gives you the right to occupy the property for you to live in or to redevelop the property or to put tenants. That is what's an exchange of completion. Then doesn't sound like it is option. What's the difference? No? In both of them, we are buying sometime in the future. And in the meantime, we can deal with the property at our discretion. So. Sounds like exchange of delay completion and the lease option are the same thing, but which is obviously not the case because this one, like all the others, are strategies that we were the first one to teach in this country, like rent to rent, rent to accommodation. Those strategies that we were the first one to teach in this country. So, anyone of you knows let's, what's the difference between an exchange of the completion and lease option? Anyone? Any volunteer? Oh, I caught unprepared. Shall I give you the differences? Uh, uh, yeah, you're basically committing to buying it. Then you have, okay, you have, to, you have so, to buy it. And also you're paying stamp duty and, uh, as well I, at the same time. I'm not hearing you. I'm sorry. So you have to buy it. You're committing to buying it. You have to buy it. And if you don't buy, what happens? They punch in the face. What happens if you don't buy? You get punched in the face. <laughs> sorry? You get punched in the face. Yeah, no, there's, I don't think it's the case in this country. Maybe in Sicily, I don't know, but, you know. Anyone? What happens if you don't buy? You lose your deposit. You lose your Absolutely, you lose your deposit. Have you noticed how much of my deposit or my creative strategies? Usually it's the famous one pound. But it's important that you mention it because independently of how much is your deposit, in fairness, in standard condition of sales for residential property in this country, there is a clause that says, independent of how much you deposit, if you don't complete, you have to pay 10% of the purchase price. But if you use the right solicitors, I can recommend someone if you want, and they know how to take that, they, they know that they need to take the clause out, then you only lose one pound. So if the only difference between EDC and lease option is one pound, it's only that one, I wouldn't say there is a difference. I'll tell you what are the differences. Now there are several, but uh, uh, two main differences for today. The first one is tax. That probably, uh, usually, but every time you do any creative strategy, you should speak to a property tax consultant that has experience in creative strategies. If you don't have one, what means email me, I put you in touch with the guy that I use. Great guy, not even that expensive. So usually they have different tax regime. So make sure to understand, to structure in the best way for you. The second difference, which is the most important, is 
vendors. There are vendors that will never, ever, ever agree on a lease option that they can't, but they might agree on a short exchange with their competition. Which kind of vendors? I'll give you two examples. First, probate. Trustee probate will never agree on, or they shouldn't agree on a lease option, but they might agree on a short, like three months exchange with the rate completion. And the second example is councils. Do you know that in this country, councils sell properties, whether they were theirs from the beginning or they were properties that the CPO composed purchase order. Uh, the CPO, no, the, 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 Acquire this property that are derelict and, uh, and uh, takes them a few years to go through. The, the law is not as simple. And, uh, but then they don't have the money to do the map. And I'll give you an example. Look at this picture. This one is uh, uh, 40 Borman Street in Eccles, uh, is a property that uh, I bought from the council with an exchange delay completion. So this property was empty for 18 years. The council acquired and then sold it and I bought it on an exchange rate completion. Now, let me show you how beautiful is this property when I walked in. So, this is the furniture, nice, right? And skylight, because you know, always useful to have skylight. And now, I question oh, now you see, now you don't. The back of the property, in my proposal to the council, I, I, I had to put that I would knock down 40% of the building and rebuild it. If I didn't do it, I, they will never have agreed to it. Why? Because this Victorian house suffers of some type subsidence since the previous century. So I can imagine no one done anything about it. It was so bad that it wasn't a question of remedy anymore. You had to knock it down a bit different. If I wouldn't they said that I would do it, they wouldn't, have done, they wouldn't agree to sell it to me. That's the reason why I can teach this one, even if you're investing in Manchester, because I know exactly what the council wants in the right in the proposal. And I know exactly what the council wants to see the end result. And because of that, nine times out of 10, I will get a property from the council instead of you, even if you offer more than me. Indeed, my offer was not the highest offer here. I still got it. My offer was so low that it was even less than what the council paid. The council paid, I think, 34,700 pounds or something like that, 34,000 something, if I remember correctly. I paid for this uh, derelict four bedroom house 20,000 pounds. So, why, why, why council will do that? Because they want to make sure that someone. That, that's it. They don't want that a landlord buys it and then still leaves it derelict until values goes further up. So what did I do? Did I make it back in a four-bedroom house? Yeah, yeah, I have to rebuild it from scratch the back, right? So I might as well move the back a few meters, not a lot, a little bit further down. So now the kitchen is big enough to be kitchen and lounge. Two lounges upstairs becomes two bedroom. Of the four bedroom upstairs, I lose one because I have to add the second bathroom and actually shower and toilet. And then remember, I had to redo the loft in any event. Now I could see through. <laughs> so we put the door in my window, 
because I don't need planning permission or permitted development, I don't want a window at the back, at the back, not at the front. And now two bedrooms upstairs, so it's a seven bedroom HMO. This is my building team, cheaper this way, right? Especially since eight kids, I have two, two building teams. And uh, I mean, this is a, a, a bit of an old picture. The two boys there uh, are, are, are both taller than me, quite taller than me. And not that it takes much, but you know, uh, when that much taller than me at 14, I feel so small. Uh, now what it looks like, as it happens, I, I hate selling properties. And uh, I, uh, for me, it's like playing Monopoly. Money per se doesn't exist me. And if it wouldn't for, be for my kids, I wouldn't even work. In this country, they pay you not to work, I wouldn't work. But I grew up without money, so I know what does it mean having no money. Uh, but my business partner, uh, last year wanted to sell the property uh, because uh, he wanted to invest in something else. And uh, so I agreed to sell it. So I bought it for 20, I spent 90,000 uh, pounds to do it up. And for it, while we had it, we were making around maybe 1,000 pounds profit a month, very about. And I sold it for, if I remember correctly, 283,000 pounds. You think a good result? So do you think that there are councils? Not every council sell properties, not every council sell properties directly. Some of them put it through auctions. Not all uh, council will sell with an exchange of their completion. But how many councils have you approached to find out? Let me guess, zero. Why? Chuf, chuf, because you're transporting guys. And that is all for me tonight or today. So is this the time to go to sleep on my more properties? This guy's the enemy, guys. Bye, 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 bye. Thank you. Okay, Shimon, so for people listening in on the podcast, how would be the best way for them to get in touch with you or, or the firm? Email me, best, I'm never in the office. And, and so I'm more often in the zone at home than in the office. So the best way is to email me. My email address is Shimon, S for Sugar, H for Hotel, I for India, M for Mother, O for Oscar, N for November, at M for Mother, S for sugar hyphen low lima alpha whiskey.co.uk. Fantastic, Shimon. Okay, so thanks for listening into the Service Accommodation Property Podcast and another round of applause for Shimon, and we'll see you all soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. You can also follow me on social media and YouTube by searching The Property Soldier. Also check out my website, www.propertysoldier.co.uk, where you can learn even more about property investing and serviced accommodation.